0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Oh, shit. Hopefully, everybody is having a great short week. Hopefully, everybody had a great holiday weekend. I was fortunate enough to spend time with the family, ripping some lips on the Mississippi River and in a couple farm ponds in Northeast Iowa. I tell you what, I absolutely love going fishing with my daughter. Every fish she catches is like a state record. Uh, she just watching her reel in these fish blows my mind and, uh, it, it, it's so much fun Just hanging with the family as well Uh, what else, what else Hear this I don't know if you can hear this or not I got a bottle of Jack Daniels From My mother-in-law For a gift And that means that I have a little I guess a sidekick While I do the editing, uh, late at night Helps me, re- helps me do a little relaxing While I do this editing And, uh So, here's to whiskey. Anyway, today's podcast is kick-ass. And the reason it is kick-ass, because we're going to be talking with Mark Mazura. And Mark is from Pennsylvania. We actually recorded the podcast while he is on his honeymoon in Hawaii. So, I don't know if he had to sneak away or... Because that's like the opposite of getting brownie points for the season. Talking about whitetails when you should be focused on your wife on the honeymoon, but... He made it work, and today man we we cover a wide range of topics. we cover self filming we cover he he 's trying to get into some filmmaking uh, to express how he feels about the outdoors. Uh, we talk about him growing up in, in hunting deer in Pennsylvania, who his main influencers were for hunting, and uh, just kind of shoot from the hip like we always do in this podcast, so uh, grab a cold one. I guess unless you're at work or operating heavy machinery, sit back, relax, enjoy the show. But uh, before we get to the podcast, guys, you know that uh, Exodus Trail Cameras are the title partner of this podcast. Their lift two cameras are kick-ass, so please go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. And look at all the details behind the Lift 2 and where they've made improvements between the Lift 1 and the Lift 2. Uh, really good strides, especially for a new company. I can tell you firsthand that their trail cameras are badass, man. Huge improvement. Uh, and these guys, I know the owners personally, and they are focused on making the best possible trail camera and doing it for a price. You know, they're cutting out the middleman, basically, because they're selling direct. So uh, be sure to check out exodusoutdoorgear.com, and the best part about that is if you're a listener of this podcast, when you go to purchase a trail camera from Exodus, you can enter the discount code 9FINGERS, that's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. That is a pretty kick-ass pod uh, deal, podcast, whatever. I'm, I'm just excited, right? I get I get excited when I do these intros because for some reason that intro music pumps me up and I got a little whiskey in the system, not going to lie. So before I ruin this any further, let's get into today's BS session with Mark Missouri. All right, on the phone with me now, and this is a first because... Mm-hmm. We're actually mm-hmm. recording this podcast while you are in Hawaii on your honeymoon, which I'm assuming would piss off your wife, but you assured me that it's cool. Mark Mazzura, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. And your Sorry. wife's cool your yeah, wife's cool with this.
0: Yeah, she's fine. She's cool with it.
1: She's uh you know, she's on a beach, she can't complain. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, Okay, so obviously the guests on this podcast are people who are somewhat addicted or obsessed to the outdoors in some way, shape, or form. Most of us are obsessed in the whitetail realm. Is that the case with you?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I definitely love the outdoors in general. Uh, in recent years, I've definitely become addicted to uh, filmography and, I guess, media in general. But yeah, I mean, I grew up hunting in Pennsylvania and, uh, my dad had me into everything, you know, uh, competitive shooting with, uh, 22s at a pretty young age, uh, fishing, turkey hunting, deer hunting. I loved it all, but I definitely gravitated right towards bow hunting. There's, you know, as far as I'm concerned in Pennsylvania, there's really nothing that can, uh, equal that. That's that's such, you know, you know, the
0: feeling. Right. Now my question is, the reason I asked that question is to ask this question. So before you got married, was your wife, your now wife, your fiance at the time, girlfriend before that, was she cool with all this that you were doing or or does she expect a change to come now that you're married?
1: Uh. No, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be any change. I actually, uh, I've started Sons of the Hunt since we started, uh, seeing each other. So, I mean, I think it was 2013, I graduated 2011 and I mean, I was pretty serious about hunting, you know, for a long time, but 2013 was when I planned on purchasing some equipment and starting to, uh, film my hunts and get into that. And, uh, and I didn't do it. I, uh, you know, pushed it off a little bit. And I ended up harvesting that season, my biggest white tail of date. And then after that, it was just, you know, I drove myself crazy. Thinking, oh, I should have had that on film. <laughs> that, it would have been wild. And so that's uh, that's a regret. And, you know, she understands where I'm coming from. She, she sees my passion. And, uh, yeah, she's not in any way wanting to hold me back from pursuing it. So
0: she's really cool like that. Right. Well, my first relationship, or I shouldn't say my first one, my relationship I had previous to the woman who is now my wife didn't, she wasn't cool with her that I, you know, was out hunting all the time in October, November. Um, I was single. I didn't have any kids, so I felt it was okay to go out as much as I wanted and, uh, you know, thinking she would understand that, she did not understand it, nor did she like it. So that that was probably one of the determining factors of why that relationship ended. So before I even got into a boyfriend girlfriend stage with my wife, I told her straight up, "Hey, October November comes, you're going to probably be by yourself quite a bit." and uh yeah. l- luckily her dad was a hardcore bass fisherman who you know has a passion the same passion for fishing that I do for whitetails so she was she understood and for the most part is cool with it up to a certain point you know i got i got baby number 3 coming so that is going to throw right. a curveball in in all that stuff so did you have the talk with her at all Saying hey, especially now that you're trying to do something in the realm of film and filming your hunt, you know that that takes even more time than just going out and hunting. Did you did you have a talk with her about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely made her aware. You know, once uh, once November first hits, like you know, I'm not going to exist for like two weeks. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm, any any chance I get to get out, I'm going to go. Right. But uh, her birthday is actually. October 27th. Okay. So And it just, it seems like that always falls like on a Friday or, or right around the weekend or so, uh, you know, we always do, you know, something special to go out and, you know, it's, it's a good trade off. Well, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, uh, sacrificing, you know, a couple of days there to oh, uh, heck yes. do whatever we need to do. So
0: yeah. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm almost uh, to the point in my life where, I would give up the entire month of October just to hunt the first two and a half, three weeks of November every year. Yeah. If, if I, yep. if, if my wife said, okay, you want to have a little given, I don't want her to hear me say this and hopefully she doesn't listen to the podcast because I love hunting early <laughs> season. But if my yeah. wife says to me, um, you need to give up all of October for me and the kids, but. I'll let you hunt as much as you want in November. I'd be like, sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. That's a deal.
1: I'd make yeah. that deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, but that's a tough deal, man, because you know, there's a lot of times where that last week of October things start getting good. And if you can, uh, you know, manage a cold front on that 27th, yeah. 28th, 29th, mm-hmm. then nope. and those deer are on their feet, man, that's a really good time of the year. Yeah.
1: That's it. It's actually funny to say because the, the I was telling you in 2013 that I, I, uh, I shot a Pope and Young deer that scored 140, and that was on October 18th. It was a really really weird day. I, I rushed out of work and I got in a tree, and it was it was like 50 some degrees out, and I caught him. He was just trotting through the middle of the field. I hit the horns together once, and he ended up right underneath my stand. And none of it made sense to me how warm right. it was and the way he was acting, but so know, why uh, real
0: real quick october 18th that's when a lot of people say oh the october lull the october October lull what what made this buck get on his feet that time of year at that time of day
1: you know i'm i'm not a huge
0: uh i don't
1: know i guess what, what would you call it? Uh, a moon theorist okay. but uh walking out of the woods that night i remember stopping and turning around and because I was walking out through a field that I, I came in through, I turned around and I looked up at the mountain and I thought somebody had a spotlight at the very top of the mountain. I started freaking out yeah. and it wasn't, it wasn't a spotlight. It was the moon. The moon was coming up yeah. and it was, they called it the, uh, they call it the hunter moon. Yep, it's like right in the moon. middle yep. of,
0: it's,
1: yeah, right in the middle of October. Yep. And I, I couldn't think of any other reason why that deer was was acting that way because yeah. he he was trotting right through the middle of this field just like he was you know like it was the first or second week in november right he was ready to go and as soon as i hit those horns together i mean he came seriously right to the base of my tree i had like a point blank shot
0: awesome so yeah 140 mm-hmm. class buck in pennsylvania that's pretty good huh
1: yeah uh as far as i'm I knew at the time that was the in the county I hunt that was the third largest typical ever taken with a bow. Right.
0: So, right. Well, that's pretty good. I, I don't know uh, about now. Yeah. I tell you what, and was it an eight pointer? Did you say? It was a nine. He had another scoreable point at the base, but uh, main frame eight. Yeah. Well, I tell you, one forty for an eight pointer uh, with uh, a kickers, not bad at all. That's uh, probably a pretty decent uh, and. and uh, I saw the video, uh, one of your videos, and a couple of your pictures, and that that looks like a pretty good buck, especially, you know, even the guys from Pennsylvania hate on Pennsylvania, and that's a that's a pretty good buck or representation oh, of that yeah. state. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, I will too. Give me a little bit, I'll get to it. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's uh,
1: Pennsylvania's. It's it's a weird place. I mean, you know, I I try to pass up deer. I try to make the opportunity you know right if it feels right then i'll i'll take a deer i mean i shot a deer last year that i i think most people wouldn't believe that i would actually shoot i shot a six-pointer i don't know scored 70 some but yeah i was on the ground and the way it all played out i mean it was it was an adrenaline rush and there was really no reason not to take it. i mean it made me happy to put meat in the freezer and i loved it i kind of go uh i follow like a pattern that you know, I'll pass up a lot of deer out of a tree when you get the time to look at them and see what they, what they're all about, and, you know, try to, you know, give a good estimate of the age. Right. But on the ground, I mean, that was completely, I never shot a deer on the ground like that. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was exciting. But right. <laughs> that other, the pattern I was kind of telling you about is I'll, every other year I'll, I'm okay with eating a tag. Yeah. And that was that was the year that I said, no, I'm, I can't eat another tag this year. So,
0: right. you know, and I think that's one thing that a lot of people, I don't know, they, I'm okay with eating a tag, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people, in my opinion, bitch and complain and, you know, and it's hard for guys to take what, you know, listen to what I'm saying and take it seriously because I do live in Iowa and I am, you know, hashtag blessed, if you want to say that, to, right. to chase some big antler deer. But I'm okay with eating my tag if the opportunity for my goal doesn't present itself. There's a lot of guys out there who I feel will say one thing but never really pass any deer to, you know, and, and maybe it's because they don't want to or maybe they just don't know how to pass a deer and eat a tag because I don't know they feel it's a sign of an unsuccessful season if they don't kill a deer
1: yeah yeah I, I definitely you know anyone who watches or kind of follows me sees you know I' I think it was two days before yeah it was two days before I ended up uh harvesting my deer last year I passed on a deer that was way bigger but it was out of a tree you know he came in and I had time to look and I just, uh, I just didn't feel right, so right. I didn't, I didn't do it. But anyone who does follow our social media knows that you know I'm, I think I'm hunting with my stomach most of the time. Like I love venison, I'm, an, I'm a fanatic for it. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> so if the opportunity is right, it's, it's hard for me to, uh, to say no, especially when. I love venison as much as I do, and we do a lot of you know different recipe videos
0: and whatnot. So, right, right. Um, before we get into it, you're referencing something in these conversation in this conversation that that we have, and um, you you have started to film your hunts, right? And so, what's the mm-hmm. name of this this uh, thing that you're doing?
1: Oh, uh, I call it Sons of the Hunt. That's just kind of uh, an ode to, to my dad. I mean, he's the reason that I'm involved in this and the reason that you know I have this passion for this. And he's taught me everything. and I kind of, once I started looking around on the internet and seeing what other people are doing, he realized not everyone has the same uh, opportunity to have somebody, you know, hand down all this knowledge or show them how to do it. So I thought, you know I should definitely share what I could with everyone and you know the more people that experience success in the outdoors you know that just creates more lifetime hunters and that's 100% what we need right now so right
0: yeah makes sense now sons of the hunt you mentioned your dad how big of a role did your dad play in you becoming that the hunter that you are today
1: no 100% I mean he's 100% the reason why. I mean, it was every weekend me and him were out, you know, it was either, if it was turkey season, we were out turkey hunting. If it was archery season, we were out. It didn't matter. We didn't take weekends off. He just always had me out there. And, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, it did a lot more than just, you know, lay my foundation to be, you know, an outdoorsman, it definitely developed a certain character. I mean, yeah, I had a job, I would work, you know, I had a restaurant, I'd work Friday night or Thursday night, Friday night, and then it was right home, right to bed, and we were hunting the next day. And I, you know, I had no issues with that. I loved it right from the beginning. Yeah.
0: So, obviously, through growth, right, as a person, um, we're all guided down a certain path of You know, like our parents can only guide us so far. And then we have to learn how to walk by ourselves, so to speak. Uh, Now, your dad got you into hunting. He helped mold that, um, uh, you know, the the love of hunting. He got you into it. But whereabouts, and kind of explain this, is something we don't really talk about on this podcast. And that is from... Where your dad left off, and you started to form your own opinions on hunting. Maybe uh, try different strategies, go after different types of deer, different thoughts and principles. Talk about that transition.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty young when I started. Really, I guess thinking about different strategies in, in Pennsylvania and just the way different things worked. Um, I was. I'm definitely an analytical person and I, I see you know, trends and how things work. And I, honestly, I mean, I grew up at a time where, you know, the internet, I guess you can't really say it was in its infancy, but it's nothing like it is now where you've got, you know, endless information about whitetail hunting at your fingertips. So I think it was when I was like 13, I think we bought our first trail camera that had film in it, you know? Yeah, and so trail cameras when my dad was showing me how to hunt were were not really a thing so we were looking at you know natural sign and and that's really what I loved the most was just dissecting the woods and making it into like almost like a crime scene just noticing everything right and uh just from I guess that the way that that data played out I noticed trends and I started doing things and even in high school, you know, I would, I would skip, like, like November fifth, sixth, and seventh, because I knew that that was that was the time to be in the woods, and that's when I started playing with decoys, and I started with mock scrapes, and just playing with all this different stuff. My dad had a couple, uh, couple books. I think one was, Jesus' um, name's escaping me right now, but
0: one of, uh, one of the
1: Eberhart books. Yep, that's exactly it. Okay. That's and uh yeah so, Once i got into that then i started with all different kinds of strategies and i started playing with this and that and um there was a couple i had a streak on i think three years in a row i killed eight pointers that came into decoys and rattling sequences i'm a huge fan of rattling and uh yeah i mean so is he, your dad then the
0: is your is your dad then the kind of guy who is like the brown? It's down sitting the same kind of tree stand, uh, you know, the same tree stand every every day of the of the season. Uh, I don't. He's
1: kind of a good blend. I mean, he he's been planting food plots and you know little kill plots since the nineties, and I guess at a time you know there was that that uh that mindset but then you know I, I would say in the 90s that's when he started you know killing some really nice deer he, I think it was 90 94 he killed a 10 pointer that I think scored 135 yeah. which was you know unheard of at the time in the 90s in PA and I think after that he it was probably the same thing that kind of happened with me once I you know I killed out that 140 it was just kind of something that you know you want to hunt for bigger deer but I think you still have to be realistic you know hunting in Pennsylvania knowing you're not going to see that caliber deer every
0: year it's just not going to happen right right so your your dad sparked it you started making adjustments to to the way you hunt off of that and then just like a lot of people do you know they want to film. They want to pick up a camera. They want to film their hunts. Some do it because they want to make movies. Some do it because they want to have memories that they can show their kids. Or you know, it's like, oh hey, hey dad, uh, what'd you see? Oh well, I saw a giant buck, and everybody, yeah, bullshit. No, you didn't. But then you show them. Right. You know, you can prove it. Show them the footage. Why did you decide to pick up a camera and start filming your hunts?
1: Uh, we actually played around with the camera when I was younger, uh, but we never got into taking like a like a tree arm or anything like that with us. We just kind of, you know, would bring it along. But I think it was, you know, in, in 2013 when I wanted to do it. I mean, I love I loved stories, you know. I'm a big fan, like The Walking Dead, Sons of Anarchy, all these, you know, Game right. of Thrones. I love these shows and the cinematography in them is just, phenomenal and i love i just love a story and i just kind of feel like that's kind of lacking with outdoor media right now right i I mean i'm not a a big fan of the half hour you know here here we are and yeah we're in illinois and now we're sitting in a tree and oh look here's the deer now he's dead yeah it's that doesn't really do it for me anymore Right. so uh I don't know. I just like telling stories. So that's pretty much what, uh, what my goal is, is, you know, be entertaining, maybe be, uh, educational. We could, and yeah, just try to, I guess, walk that fine line.
0: Right. So I got, I got a question I want to ask you here. Something I was thinking about the other day and it has to do with the hunting industry in general and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because you're getting you're just getting into it, right? You're just a couple of years in of filming your hunts and and putting out yeah. short films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I I was flipping through Instagram and I noticed a trophy shot of of someone who has, you know, a show and and all this stuff. And I was thinking to myself at what at what point does somebody you know stop killing an animal or or hunting for the love of the sport and for the love of the animal and doing it because it's now their job so they're they're not necessarily required to do it but it helps definitely it, it could potentially elevate their status if they kill an animal right and it gets them likes and right. it gets them clicks and it gets them uh you know notoriety which translates into dollars uh, for sponsors and i was thinking i'm like that animal then it the that animal's life was taken for the wrong reason as opposed to for the love of hunting in general what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah it's definitely something i've you know considered it, you know, i guess if if i were in that position I, I've thought about that definitely uh, to a certain extent. I mean, personally, I would think, all right, if I have this opportunity to, you know, kill all these deer every year, I'm going to be eating a lot of venison. Yeah. And that's really what I would hope from from these guys that, you know, they're eating venison like every day. Right. I, uh, I think we get to put – I put my buck and two dough in the freezer every year and you know, me and my dad, you know, kind of share, we help each other out, you know, and my sister actually hunts, so she'll usually shoot a doe, a buck if she could. And I mean, our venison will last until, I don't know, the spring, maybe sometime right. in the spring, like May, we we eat a lot of it. So I would hope that these guys, you know, are also walking that, that line that right. they are utilizing this animal. Right. You know,
0: that's, not not just killing it for the 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 movie or the or the right. show or to, you know to the, the the likes and the clicks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that the reason we started hunting was to provide for ourselves and provide for the community. And I I, I could understand if you're if you're going to donate it to a shelter or something like that, but I mean at least make it known that, that the animal is being utilized because that, you know, that would kill me. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd, I'd give it up if that were the, uh, the scenario.
0: Did, when you were younger and your dad started taking you out, did your, did you guys rely on, uh, venison as a food source throughout the year? Even back no, no, then. He, yeah, I don't know if you could say we would
1: rely on it, but we definitely ate it quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, uh my dad has you know, he's uh he's a taxidermist. Not, not okay. full time, he does it for friends and family and uh you know, he showed me how to butcher a deer. We break down our own our own deer and package them all ourselves. So I guess, you know, I was I was kinda spoiled because I've always been shown, you know, how to, you know, process a deer properly. And right. see, I've always loved venison, but, you know, you meet people who say, oh, it's gamey or I have this cut of meat. I mean, we, I'm, I've never eaten a piece of deer meat that had a bone in it. Yeah. You know, we bone everything out. So, I, you know, people do it different ways. And I don't know, that's why I think I, I've always been kind of spoiled and it's always been done the right way. And that's why I think I like it so much. But
0: Right. Yeah, right. that's uh It's kind of, it's, kind of it's weird because when I first started getting into hunting yeah, we kept the meat and ate it, but it wasn't like it was the reward that it that it, that it is today for me. Like I love eating deer meat, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know, it, for me it's not the main reason I hunt. Like the reason I hunt and and I've been thinking about this lately, you know, what is, why do I hunt? What is the reason? You know, that's a very vague question, but there's so many things that I benefit from personally, uh, from deer hunting and you know, the venison, venison is part of it, but it's not the overwhelmingly number one ranking thing of why I hunt. You know, it's like, I I love to be outside, right? And if I could, you know, and my family allowed it, I'd I'd go sit in a tree stand. At random times of the year and just chill out in the in the timber because I love it so much. Love watching nature and and you know seeing the life of animals unfold and and. Deer then worked its way into it and hunting kind of worked its way into it as kind of an outlet for stress reduction and uh, just get, even getting that much closer to nature. And then harvesting the animal is basically the cherry on top of the entire uh, yearly adventure that is you know, my addiction to not just whitetails but for the nature in general. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. I mean, I'll take a walk through the woods any opportunity I can, you know. And it, it's always kind of based the same way, you know. You're just walking through the woods, even if you don't have permission to hunt it, and you're with somebody, right. and you, or, or I, they're, you know they're asking me to take a walk with them. <laughs> if I'm at a certain job site and there's a patch of woods there, I'll take a walk through it and just you know, it, it's cool just to walk up on new rubs or where there was a scrape trails right. and. I'm all about that. That's definitely a way to, you know, to relax for me. I'll right. I'll walk through any patch of woods that you know gives me the opportunity, pretty much. Right. And yeah, in, in the summer we, I actually kind of do what you were saying. I mean, I'll go out to the uh, the property I hunt, and there's a there's a box stand in the field that the uh, the landowner put there a while back, and I'll just sit in there and I'll watch the deer come out. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll film and maybe you get some velvet footage or something like that. But, yeah, just sitting there and watching the deer, I mean, I'm I'm right with you. It's definitely calming, very peaceful. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was kind of funny the other day. I was being an asshole to my family and wife. I was, like, stressed from work and, and some other things that I have going on in my life right now. And we went up to my wife's uh, trailer. And, or my wife's uh, parents, they have a cabin, slat. it's it's a trailer, but it's right along the Mississippi River and we do a lot of fishing up there. And the second I got there, I walked out on the deck and it was just like, boom, therapy session has begun, right? It's just like yeah. nature, I don't know what it is, man, but nature can cure problems. I, I, I have experienced it firsthand. If you are stressed in life or if you have problems, just go for a long walk out in the middle of nowhere, away from your cell phone or away from a computer, away from noise. And dude, it can, it can, it can save your life.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. That's, that's, It could flip a switch pretty much. Definitely right. can change my mood. I, I, and it's funny, like <laughs> the way you describe that, I've definitely felt that same thing, and I'm. A, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel like I'm in a bad mood, or whatever is yeah. happening. And I'll, I'll think about it, but like, well, when was the last time I, I was out, you know, in the woods, or you know, drove my truck out to the property, or something like that. Right. And right. usually, usually after you do that, you're. I'll unwind and be like, oh, there you
0: go. <laughs> quiet, you know. There you, yep. Found it. Found it. Um, What do you do for a living? I'm a maintenance technician relief
1: operator for uh, Pennsylvania American Water. Okay. Uh,
0: So so layman's terms?
1: uh, I make sure that the water treatment plants are working properly. You know, we take uh, groundwater sources like reservoirs and we'll pull water from there and then chemically treat it, coagulate all the impurities out of it, filter it, and then send it off to the distribution system.
0: Nice. How how much vacation time do you get a... A year.
1: Uh to, to to hunt with.
0: I'll say like usually a week.
1: I'll give my uh my wife gets gets a week, we'll go wherever and then I'll take a week. Right. Last year though she was uh she was still in school so we didn't do a vacation and I had two weeks, two straight weeks to hunt. Nice. And uh yeah, that's uh kinda like what I was saying before. I had I went out to Ohio, I scouted a piece of public land there. That I was pretty excited to uh, to get out to, and the way it played out, I hunted Pennsylvania the first week, and right at the end of that first week, I hit a deer, and I didn't give up on him for four or five days, so it kind of ruined the uh, the prospect of Ohio for me. But I still have all my notes and the maps and
0: everything that I made, and I think I'm going to uh, give it a shot this year. Nice. So I take it that you are in Hawaii right now. So you got a week vacation that went to your wedding and honeymoon. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So at least you got some vacation time com- uh, coming up in November, right? Yeah.
1: Yep. I'm going to have, uh, you know, five days I can take off and then the two weekends. And if you plan it right, you know, you can hunt Sundays in Ohio. So nice. I can utilize, you know, all those straight days of hunting. If I, uh, time to travel the right
0: way. So, Right, right. Yeah, it's, so, it's going to be a crunch, but we will make it happen. Nice. So getting back to f- filming, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What made you want to pick up a camera and start filming? We, we got into it a little bit, but kind of veered off like we always do. And I want to share one of my experiences before. Uh, and my experience has led me to not film my hunts anymore because yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know this but I had an encounter with he was pretty close to Boone and Crockett and I was trying to get I'd say maybe closer to 160 165ish but right right in that range 160 low 170s and I was trying to get him on film so I let him walk through one of my shooting lanes and i let him walk through a, another small shooting lane so i could get footage of him so i could get him on camera to get the shot but as soon as you know so so my focus was not at that point killing it was or getting the shot it was to get him on camera and i blew the shot i hit him in his hind quarter uh, i was really mad at myself that i that I took the bad shot, but I wanted to try to get it on camera. And since that day, I probably took a camera to film myself in the timber, in the stand, I would say one or two other times because I don't want that to be a distraction between the time a deer, you know, a deer of a lifetime steps out and I'm trying to get it on camera as opposed to, you know, getting anchored for the shot. So, yeah, why? Why have you decided to do that? Uh, I I just feel like I've had so many good
1: experiences in the Pennsylvania woods that I know that they were going to keep coming. You know, I I I think I'm you know a pretty proficient hunter, and I know that you know every couple of years I get a shot at a you know a decent right. buck. You know, you there right. was one that would make hope and young. So I started thinking about, it. I was like, well, I, I should just start, you know, start documenting what I'm doing. And, you know, just, like I said in the past, uh, what, <clears throat> if I could help somebody experience success, then, you know, that's just, that's another lifetime hunter. But mm-hmm. yeah, once I, uh, I got into, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have a, a good friend, uh, Brian Fularsky, who uh, He's a graphic designer, self-employed, and he's just, he's brilliant with a camera. He taught me everything. And once he kind of showed me around the camera, I really started falling in love with it. And, you know, just even shooting sunsets and just deer randomly, loved it. I've I missed all about it. But uh, but like you said, I've been, <laughs> I think it's almost like this the dark cloud looming over me just that I keep thinking about this situation where I'm going to have to pick the bow or the camera. And I know, I know it's going to happen. I know it's coming at some point. I'm going to get one of those days in November where I've just got a buck chasing, you know, and need just run it all over. And, and I guess I'm just going to let whatever instinct kicks in, take over, but I know it's going to happen at some point. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how I'm going to react until that moment. So I guess we'll see, but.
0: So you're going to cross that I, bridge when you get to it. That's
1: yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I think I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel, yeah, I don't know what, what's going to happen when that happens. I definitely like the idea of self-filming more than bringing somebody in the tree with you. What I is think that? that, uh, it's just, you know, it's more covert. I think you're, you're, you know, cutting your chance of, being seen or noticed definitely half obviously but I don't I don't know how many people I would want to actually take with me you know I I think that would be a different level of trust that I'm not sure
0: (laughs) for your hunting spot's sake anyway right
1: yeah for that and uh you know uh I get pretty particular so I I don't know who uh who would be on the list but I I'd, I'd rather if something go wrong that it's 100% my fault, you
0: know? Right. So, Playing devil's advocate here, okay? You you say a camera guy is going to be less covert, but you got a bow in one hand and a camera arm in the other hand, and you're trying to, you know, finagle all these things around while you're, uh, you know, while this deer comes in and you're hopefully going to get the shot on it. Do you think that that is additional unwanted movement as far as trying to harvest the deer is concerned, as opposed to having a cameraman?
1: Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, most of my setups now, I've pretty much, I, I don't want to say like design them. You know, when I find a, a right spot that I know is going to be good, you know, during the rut, like there's a scrape around. I kind of try to set myself up so I know where my shot's going to be, right. and I've got the camera kind of right there. And there really are no other options. Maybe there's another shooting lane that I could adjust to. I've uh, I've recently got gotten into hunting some really thick areas that you know take a lot of preparation to trim out and get the right access. And once I do end up getting trimmed out, it's I've got myself set up. All right, the shot's going to be here or it's going to be here. There's really, you know, if if a deer comes through, I'm not going to have a shot and I wouldn't worry about it otherwise. But that's definitely a a major factor now is when I hang a tree stand, I'm definitely just trying to set myself up for one or two opportunities in that spot where, you know, I've got, you know, a dripper or something that hopefully he'll stop at.
0: Or, or a particular shooting lane that's cut out that, your goal is every deer is going to walk through there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, I obviously, you know, they're
1: not all like that, but
0: you know, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys try, you know, they want to film themselves. Right. But a lot of it is trial and error the first couple seasons. What are some things that you've learned over the past handful of seasons that you've actually brought a camera out in the timber to document your, your hunts. What are some things that you've learned to do from a filming standpoint, you know, filming your hunt standpoint, and maybe some advice that you could pass on to people who are maybe looking into filming their hunts?
1: I, I think it's just pretty much what I said, set yourself up for that shot, try to take the guessing out of it. You know, if you've got a deer coming all the way across the field, you know, Bow hanger, I think, is necessary if you're self filming. Have that, have it hanging so it's, you know, right, right tight in with your setup so you can pick it up. Because I, I film with a DSLR and oh, I, oh boy. Yeah, I never autofocus anything. It's all manual focus. So I'll have, I'll pick, it, it's just like if you're shooting a one pin setup, you're going to keep it at 25 yards. So, Pick something 25 yards. Focus the camera on that, and you should be good. I mean, if if he's out further than that, you're going to have time to move that camera, I would think. But right, it's kind of it's definitely all anticipation, you know. Anticipate where the deer is going to be, where your shot's going to be. I think that that's uh, you need definitely need to uh, set yourself up. I mean, if uh, if you saw a ghost, I knew that. I, I mean, I was hunting that logging road where that deer was coming and I knew he was going to come right down it. So that was kind of, you know, like a layup when it finally did happen. Right. So you, uh, you have this
0: idea in your head that the deer are going to be coming from, to and from certain areas. So you point the camera in that direction, you focus it, and then, you know, when or if they do decide to come, it's already in place. Statistically the deer, there's a higher percentage the deer are going to walk through that particular area as far as any other uh, area surrounding your stand? Yeah, 100%. I mean,
1: if if the deer's not there, then I'm not getting a shot at it, pretty much. Right.
0: Right. Now, what about your tree stand setup? Do you set your tree stand up differently when you're in the tree to film your hunts uh, as opposed to, let's say, hunting without a camera?
1: Uh. I guess that's something I'm kind of still figuring out. Uh, a lot of my, I think that I've finally hunted with a camera out of all my existing stands that I've had and I haven't really had a problem making it work. Uh, now though, setting up new stands, I definitely have that in mind. I mean, I've been on some, you know, big trees where I was like, Oh, I can't even get, you know, the the strap around this for the camera arm, or something right. like, or where I was using two two ratchet straps to get the stand on it or something like that. But Yeah. I mean, now the, the one stand that I hunt that I actually built a food plot around that I definitely had the camera in mind the whole time when I was designing that it was, you know, I'm sitting with the food plot on my left and I've got a shooting lane on my right. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of being as high as, I'm comfortable shooting with, you know, in the tree, I'll get up, you know, 30 feet. I just, I think you can get away with more, especially with a camera. Right. So I'd say try to practice shooting that when I can, but.
0: Right. Right. So like for me, when I was doing a lot of self-filming and filming my hunts, you know, I would have to do, I was still a run and gun hunter, right? So I was still packing everything in and packing everything out. And then I'd get to the base of a tree of a, a new a new set. And I I can remember their times being like, oh my god, I should have came in 30 minutes or 45 minutes earlier, because by the time I am finished setting up, it's gonna almost be prime time, right? So yeah. so I, I can remember getting to the base of the tree, setting up the tree stand, trimming a couple shooting lanes, going back up the tree, strapping in, setting up the camera arm. Setting up the uh, you know the camera, making sure everything works. Do you uh, use a microphone, uh, like a wireless mic? Yeah. Right. So you got your uh, vir-
1: well, yeah, yeah. For the most
0: part, what you yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, you got a microphone. You're you're uh, hooking up or whatever, and then and then it's then it's time to hunt, right? So how long does that take you? Uh, first off, are you doing run-and-gun uh, style hunts still, or are you, um, do you have your tree stand prep work before the, uh, you know, before the season even starts?
1: Yeah, I've got zero experience run-and-gun style. I've got everything set up. Okay. I, I've been thinking about that a lot, though, and I think I actually am going to grab a climber before this season, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm bringing in, and to put a climber on my back, I'm going to have to like go in like shirtless because I'm going to be dying by the time I get <laughs> <in> there
0: <laughs> yeah
1: because I mean um, my my pack now it's got to weigh you know 35 pounds I've got the the camera arm the DSLR all my lenses plus you know the the stuff that I'm bringing to hunt you know my grunt tube and whatnot I've got a couple external chargers that I bring it, it just seems like to to put a a stand on my back with all that is that's getting up there. I mean, I, I I I honestly can't fathom how these how how guys do that. They just run in there and to pick out a tree in the dark. You I,
0: you must have to have an idea of the tree that you're going to go to. Right. Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the goal. You you do a lot of scouting now for me. I've done it before, and I'm not a huge fan of going and setting up a run-and-gun uh, style hunt in the dark for a morning hunt. I try to avoid that whenever possible, but there are times, you know, you got to do it. That's that is That sucks so much to do. It, it really sucks <laughs> yeah. to, to do that. But because I've typically scouted that area or, let's say, on my main farm, I – man I've been on that property now for damn near 10 years so I know the ins and outs of that property fairly well to where I can say okay if I pick this tree I'm this far from where I need to be uh, you know cut a shooting lane there you know cut a couple branches down and in the dark it's it's even though you know your property it's still a guessing game as to to what branches need to be uh you know need to be cut down because I've I've definitely Set up a tree in the dark. Got set up, hooked in. Daylight came, and the inside corner that I wanted to shoot at, into uh, had a big branch there. So I had to get down, get my pole saw out, trim that real quick, and get back in into the stand. In probably one of the best times of the morning, and uh, you know sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I, I would have a hard time being confident in a situation like that, you know? It, it just takes it,
0: practice, like anything. Yeah, if
1: I, I mean, there there are times, you know, where I'm going to, uh, to like, one of my already set stands, you know, I, I you know, bust a deer out or something, I'm, you, you're automatically sitting there with that idea in your mind, like, was that, was that the deer that I'm in here for, you know, <laughs> yeah. it like, and it, and it just, it just drives yourself crazy, but something like that you know i i don't know i'm a very i don't know, i guess uh prepared i need to be prepared for most things you know right
0: right so, absolutely so do you hunt on on public or private ground uh in
1: pennsylvania i'm fortunate enough to have a few different pieces of private ground but i can nice. i'm not the only one that gets to hunt there uh okay. with the bow for the most part yes but then there are guys who'll come in with the rifle and rifle hunt
0: so. right right gotcha is this is this family property or knock on door permission type deal
1: uh
0: my main property was
1: just uh i knocked on the door i actually uh kind of uh you know convoluted story i moved up to uh, a lake house that my parents had uh, after i graduated college and i wanted to have some properties closer to where I was working, I got a job at, uh, the one restaurant up that way. So I, uh, I started going out with spotlighting at night and, uh, you know, just driving around and I ended up, uh, coming across a deer that I remember at the time when, when I was spotlighting that I was thinking he was going to score like 160. It was just <laughs> a monstrous deer, but I mean, this is a long time ago, so who knows, right, but right. I ended up knocking on a couple of doors and I got permission and, uh, it's actually a pretty wild story. My now wife was this guy's nurse after he had triple bypass. So he knew her before I knew her. Oh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was really crazy, but we've, uh, we've come to become, you know, pretty good friends. And, uh, he likes the outdoors and he, he just likes to see me out there. I think, uh, you know, utilizing the property and loving the outdoors. So, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, good piece of property that I have. I'm super lucky to have access to.
0: Right. Uh, Same, same exact thing with me, same exact thing with me, man. I got, I have some primo ground in Iowa that I knocked on the door. I gained permission to shed hunt and Turkey hunt. Um, I, she became comfortable with me. Uh, she, uh, we became. I help her on the farm when she needs it, and uh, mm-hmm. just I am an over. You know, like I, I earned her trust, and now I have access to some really kick-ass ground where there's giant. You know, just so happens to be giant deer running around. But uh, you know, I definitely had to work for it. And just like you, I'm not the only hunter on this property. So I, I still, you know, I still have to face. Face that fact. Right. But you get it while it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I try to. Yeah.
1: You get to bow hunt it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, there's two other guys, sometimes three other guys who bow hunt that as well. Oh, really? Yep. So I, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that but you know they assume I got this a lot of people assume I got this giant piece of property uh, it's mm-hmm. low pressure but it's not I, I share it with other people who drive four-wheelers through it they drive their trucks through it you know they you know they they are they probably won't start setting up their tree stands until oh I'd say a week before October 1st uh, sometimes even before. Or uh, after October first hits, so uh, and then the the guy who muzzleload hunts it, he drives he drives his four wheeler all over the property, uh, right during mid October, and that that actually causes a lot of deer to uh, to leave the area. But whatever, uh, you know, like like just like anybody, you got to make make it work uh, with what you have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I want to get back to this this these films that you've made. Um first off, you know, we've talked about why you've decided to film your hunts, but what are some of the stories what okay, tell me what the name of your first uh film was called. Oh uh, the first uh first film was called Ghost. Okay, tell us about what Ghost was and why you decided to make that your first film project.
1: Uh I think that that was just, you know, the story that unfolded the first year that I had the camera equipment pretty much. Right. And, uh, just if you, you know, if you've seen the movie all the way to the end there, I I ended up getting a picture of that deer. That was a a new property that well was relatively new to me. I, I, like I said, I sat there one night and, uh, I had a really good stand and I, I had a buck coming in and I, I ended up snort weaving and it actually scared scared the deer off. I didn't want any part of it and it looked like a nice nice buck coming up this logging trail so uh yeah after that I ended up going back and I think it was probably yeah that was that that happened on Halloween and I think I didn't get to hunt again until November 4th and I actually ended up killing the deer that I killed in the in the film. So I didn't really get to hunt there much. And then when I went back there to the, uh, the, that property again, it was just absurd. The number of rubs I found and just monstrous rubs and huge tree, like trees I've never seen get rubbed before. Yeah. So I, I put a, a camera out on that. I, I had a picture of that, that one deer. I mean, he was definitely he was just a massive acorn. You see how thick he was. I mean, he was huge. It, that, and it's, fitting because that picture the only picture i ever got of him it was two pictures never lifted his head up and uh i was using a, a covert camera at the time and it was right at that transition period where the picture was black and white pretty much and he just he he literally looks like a ghost and as far as i know i never heard of anyone harvesting him i never got another picture of him I, I don't even know, you know, if that was actually the deer that did it, but I mean, it was, I had cameras there before the season and during the season, and I never had any kind of pictures of that deer, and it was just like that one week, you know, the switch got flipped, and it must have just gone crazy up there, I I really wish that I got to hunt there, but uh, yeah, so <laughs> the last, last couple seasons, though, I, I have in there, though, and, I haven't gotten a shot at a nice deer up there yet, but they're definitely up there. It's a big piece of property.
0: Nice, nice. All right, so Ghost was the first film. Uh, what mm-hmm. were the? How many more do you have? Two more?
1: Uh, I've got a couple of short ones. I haven't put out anything like feature length like that. Like that one was fifty-two minutes. I'm working on one now that is just kind of like the follow-up to that. I. I I kind of held my footage while I could, you know, because the season after that, um, I ate a tag. So oh. I was, I just kind of held the footage and now with what happened last season, I feel like there's enough to tell another story. So I'm working on putting that together now.
0: Gotcha. So do you think, uh, do you think a, a story for deer hunting, you know, because like, like we, talked about at the beginning of this uh, podcast a lot of people are just throwing out money shots right it's just show up right. kill a deer leave right i mean they they try to make it unique but it's really not unique it's it's just yeah. killing animals you know there's not mm-hmm. any really cool story that some of these, especially if they're, if they're using an outfitter, you know, and no offense to people who use outfitters, but it's hard to right. tell a story other than, Hey, we just pulled up. What do you have for me to uh, kill today? Okay, cool. I'll take it. I'm going to put this, I'm going to, and then the outfitter says, I'm going to put you in this stand. Then the guy kills it and he's like, Oh, I'm so happy. And then they leave and it. Then it's, the, you know, and next so- week it's the same story in a different location. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't know. There's no appeal right. for me with that at all. Right. Uh, might be a little different if you know. I've, I've been looking into uh, going to New Zealand. I actually was going to consider bringing my boat to Hawaii with me, but uh, that didn't go over the way I wanted it to. <laughs> so, uh, if I was going to go out of the country to New Zealand for Red Stag or something like that, I think that's a different story. Or Alaska. But if you're going to go to a state for whitetails like, like Ohio, I'm going to want to know how I could perform there. You know what I mean? I'm going to want to go and, you know, walk through the woods and pick my own tree and hang my own stand. I mean, that's, even, I, to me, that's what it's all about. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. So to be robbed of that, I just feel like, uh, you know, I I wouldn't really want any part of that, but,
0: you know, each
1: their own, right. Doesn't bother me, whatever you want to do, you know, as long as if you're, if you're promoting hunting, you know, good, good for you. Right. That's, That's the way it should be.
0: So when you're, when, when you're making these films and these stories, you know, you mentioned, you know, you like Sons of Anarchy. You like Walking Dead. You like uh, you know these are some pretty. Uh, um, I have I have yet to see uh, Game of Thrones any any Game of Thrones, but everybody that I talk to says it's pretty kick ass. Yeah, what, it's phenomenal. What do you plan to accomplish? I mean, what is your goal when putting together a film? Uh,
1: I think it's you know make it educational if I could. But make it entertaining, you know. I, I've got a, I've gotten to know some really good bands that allow us to use their music in our films, and we'll promote them. I'll, I'll share their page or social media once in a while, and uh, I think that that's kind of what sets us apart. We get to, you know, music is such a huge part, and getting to work with these artists is really phenomenal. I mean it's good for us because it it really brings together a lot of our scenes and it's good for them because they get, you know, exposure to an audience that otherwise they're probably not going to reach. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of uh, outdoorsmen listening to bands from, you know, like California or like Sacramento. These, uh, you know, grungier bands, but... (laughs) But I think it's uh you know I think that kind of sets it apart. I like making uh film that's cinematic definitely right. right and you know we're just we're just getting into upgrading our technology. We have a drone now, and uh, I think I'm gonna pick up a new uh DSLR before the season
0: starts, so nice, nice, yeah, yeah, so. Uh, what can we expect from, from, as far as films are concerned from you in 2018? Uh,
1: 2018. Well, hopefully we'll get, uh, we'll get two out. I'm thinking possibly by the end of the month, I, you know, don't, uh, don't, <laughs> don't quote me on anything specifically, but that's the goal, you know, depending on, you know, what, what work does and, uh. You know everything else i need to uh get accomplished before i could uh sit down and edit film i'd like to have it done by you know the end of september maybe the middle of october but uh yeah we'll see what happens when i head out to ohio you know something good happens and i'll be working on film otherwise i'll just be you know documenting what happens this season you know same as last couple and uh I can put together a good story, something that I think, uh, people will appreciate and it'll be entertaining to them. then, you know, I'll put it together and I'll
0: put it out. Absolutely. And that's, uh, I'll tell you what, um, if it wasn't for the outdoor channel being on the package that my wife has for satellite television, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even have it. Uh, you know, there's some right. good, there's some good shows on there. Like I like the, uh, Heartland Bowhunter, they put they have some really good cinematic stuff and do a decent job of putting together yeah. a, a good story. Um, I like Jim Shockey's stuff where he's out doing these crazy sheep hunts, and I think most of his stuff is. an I think uh, Uncharted is an hour long. I you know I yeah. grew up I grew up watching National Geographic's with my dad on Sunday nights, and mm-hmm. the 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 film work done on those shows is I guess part of the reason I'm a nature lover today and just an outdoor, you know, love the outdoors because of national geographics and wanting to go see and be a part of those locations someday. Right. So uh, that played a huge role, but you're right. Something's missing. And I think the cool thing about the technology today is that guys like you, can put together a kick-ass story with very good to decent um, film work and just throw it on YouTube or, you know, the Internet somewhere for everybody to enjoy. And the storyline is just as good as anything else that's out, out there. And it's free.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's – we're not really looking for anything. I just want to, you know, put a good story out there for people to uh, to enjoy I think that was the one thing that, you know, I, I got into all the outdoor media on YouTube at, at some point or another, i have probably encountered it. I've done a lot of research and yeah. I, it just kind of felt like there was that one thing that I wanted to see. Like I wanted to, somebody to tell me a story and yeah. it just, you know, it kind of wasn't there. There are, don't get me wrong. There are definitely some people out there who are doing exactly that and they're doing a like, phenomenal job. Like, right. like you said, Heartland bowhunter, those guys, they're awesome. They're doing a a really good job, but, uh, yeah, to, to put out something that has like a storyline, I just don't think we've really seen it yet the way maybe I'm picturing it. So I think that's just my goal to put out something that, you know, I would want to watch.
0: Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Mark, uh, good luck with the movie making, uh, endeavors in the hunting industry and uh good luck this upcoming season i guess behind the bow as well
1: hey thank you you too appreciate and the time
0: is there a is there a place that we can send people if they want to i guess watch some of your films uh if you
1: just go head over to our facebook you should should be able to uh get directed one way or the other to that's, that's uh that's something the out hunt. there on, Yep, sons of the, Facebook.com slash Sons of the Hunt. Perfect. We're on Instagram, at Sons of the Hunt. Twitter, Sons of the Hunt is the same. Uh, I don't think our YouTube is actually at sons, YouTube.com slash sons of the Hunt. I think somebody has that on us. But uh, if you just, you know, YouTube search Sons of the Hunt,
0: all our stuff comes up. So Perfect. Well, again, good luck uh, behind the camera and behind the bow this upcoming season, man.
1: Hey, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: And there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Mark for taking time away from his honeymoon and away from his wife to record this podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who have taken time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Hopefully you guys are finding these interesting. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the feed on Stitcher, on iTunes, wherever you get your downloads of this rss feed Uh, and just remember that now you're getting with one rss feed you're getting the nine finger chronicles you're getting the land and legacy podcast and starting this thursday you will be getting the diy sportsman's podcast as well so that's uh three podcasts for the price of one, and uh, just a ton of kick-ass information coming down the pipe with all of those podcasts. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast: Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Bighorn Outfitters, Deer Lab, Ripcord, Wasp Archery, Gearhead Ar- Archery, and Ozonics. Um, and just another little uh, heads up: Ozonics. They're down in Houston or down around that area. They were eff- affected by the hurricane. So, you know, I don't necessarily want to push it as hard as I'm going to about to push it. But you can really help those affected, the, the people who work for that company by buying an ozonix. Um it goes to, you know, obviously purchasing any piece of equipment from any company helps the company and the people that work for it. But, uh, you know, if you're ever going to spend your money on Ozonics, now is the time to do it. And, uh, you know, again, there is a discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. You can get 75% off all orders or excuse me, $75 off of all orders over 400 bucks. So, uh, keep that in, in mind as uh, you know uh, the effects of the hurricane are being felt uh, other than that guys I appreciate you I uh, thank you very much thanks to all the partners of the podcast thanks to you if you haven't already check me out on iTunes uh, and Stitcher you know that check me out on social media Facebook Instagram Twitter and I think that's it man uh, with the season coming up really fast and if you're a western hunter it's already here if you are in states like uh, Wisconsin and Kentucky Kentucky man they're already open other states have already been open spend some time with the family now so that when it gets good you can uh, cash in all those brownie points and remember guys if you are in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week Thank you.